All right. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians 12. A couple of years ago, I began working through four books at the same time. Daniel, Revelation, 1 Corinthians, and Acts. And we've completed Daniel and Revelation, and I want to continue working through Acts and 1 Corinthians in different ways at different times, depending on what's going on. And so I'd like for us to look at 1 Corinthians 12 today, which is where we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've worked our way up to this point. One of the interesting things about um, the culture we're in um, is that, as people say, we're a product of the air we breathe. And one of the things that's wafting through the air in our day and time quite a bit, maybe more than you realize, uh, but as I read, I hear people talking about it, that there are fewer and fewer, and fewer people uh, going to church. And even within the church, there are those who call into question, I think, the importance of the body of Christ and whether or not um, we really need the church. Um, you know, with COVID, people got used to watching church online and there will be people who say, well, why just can't we do that all the time? Why can't we just, you know, get our coffee and our PJs and just sit in front of the TV and, and watch the live stream? Isn't that good enough? Isn't that really uh, sufficient? Well, obviously, if that's the best we can do in terms of connecting with the body, it's God uses those kinds of things. So it's not like it's a wrong thing. But you have to ask the question in light of 1 Corinthians 12, if Paul would agree with the idea that the local church really isn't that important or that, you know, you can get as much out of your Christian life by sort of viewing uh, the Christian life online, so to speak, rather than in person with other people. And so that's what I'd like to, for us to think about as we get into 1 Corinthians 12 is the question of, um, how should we think about the local church and how should it encourage us in our own pursuit of God? Because all of us, we assume, are here because we're pursuing God and we're trusting Jesus for our right standing with God. And so if we're pursuing God, that means we believe God is truly the help we need and the happiness our hearts long for. And therefore, if we really trust someone, it means we listen to what they have to say. And we want to believe what they have to say and we want to put it into practice. So this is just another opportunity for us to think about one aspect of the Christian life. It's not every aspect. There are other aspects of the Christian life. But the church is one very important aspect of the Christian life. And John in 1 John goes so far as to say, your love for other believers in the church is an evidence that you're truly saved. And so it's no small issue how we look at the church, our involvement in the church. It's important with regard to our own pursuit of happiness in God personally, but it's also important in terms of uh, the working out of our faith. So look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians 12, and let's read this together uh, today. Verse 1 Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says... Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not prophets, are they? All are not, excuse me, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greatest, excuse me, the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God. So what I'd like for us to do is just to think a little bit about um, what Paul is talking about here. Last week we were in Acts 18, which is the account of 
Paul planting the church in Corinth. That's one reason why I decided to preach again on 1 Corinthians and continue working through it is because of that. And if you recall, I had us think about that chapter in light of the risk of loving. And in that chapter, you've got Paul reaching out to unbelievers in love, which was a risky thing because they rejected him um, uh, there. And um, you see also him reaching out to believers as well, or at least you see uh, um, uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila reaching out to Apollos. And so you've got the ministry to believers and ministry to unbelievers in that chapter. And the thing about it was that I was trying to bring out is that you've got different responses to those acts of love, either actually or potentially. There was either actual rejection or potential rejection. There was actual physical harm that could have taken place. At least it did prior to that. And there was the potential for that. There was certainly some misunderstanding. You've got one person named Sosthenes who suffered because of what Paul did. And as I mentioned last week, we might think about the stand we might take for righteousness in our society and how it might affect our family or might affect someone else. There is a risk involved in doing the right thing and doing the wise thing that may not only affect us, it might affect our families, might affect other people that we love and care about. And I I mentioned... Uh, wanted to mention anyway the, high, the, the whole issue with um, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos is that that was kind of a risky thing for them to pull Apollos aside and say I think your preaching isn't exactly accurate and yet they were willing to do that out of love and so love is a risky thing it can result in persecution result in rejection, misunderstanding, uh, people not appreciating the love that we're trying to show them. And I say all that just to remind us of that reality and to highlight the fact that for Paul, that was the nature of his relationship to the church in Corinth. Uh, if you read First and Second Corinthians, you find out that Paul had more trouble in his relationship with the church in Corinth than he did with any other church. Um, at one point, they doubted whether or not um, he was really uh, the person they ought to be listening to. They began listening to other super apostles. They began to criticize him for his preaching style. And, and they began to uh, question his approach to a number of different things. And so if you just carefully read through First and Second Corinthians, you realize that uh, the church at Corinth caused him a lot of heartache. And it was a mixed bag. On the one hand, he could say, you guys are, are, have been gifted greatly, and yet you guys are messed up in so many ways. Well, he, he talks about the different kinds of problems that needed to be addressed there. He addressed, addressed the uh, division in the church. He addressed the immorality in the church. He addressed lawsuits and prostitution. He addressed... Uh, sacrificing to idols. He addressed the desecration of the Lord's Supper. All kinds of things are going on in the church at Corinth. And yet he didn't just immediately write them off as not being Christians, number one. It wasn't until the very end of 2 Corinthians that he says, you guys need to 
evaluate whether you really are Christians or not. It took him a long time before he got there. But he tried to address the issues that they had. And one of the issues that they had is the issue of how they handled spiritual gifts. And I was thinking about that. It's interesting how some of our greatest problems in life are related to some of our greatest blessings. We talk about marriage for 34 years. Marriage is truly a blessing from God. And yet, marriages can produce some of the most difficult issues that people face. Parenting, having children, is a huge blessing from God. And yet, there are issues that come with that blessing that can be really hard to deal with. And so, the spiritual gifts that God gave to his church are a tremendous blessing, but it's interesting how many different problems arise with the blessing. And that's what Paul is dealing with in this chapter, or beginning to. He actually deals with it through chapter 14. And I just want to uh, touch on a few things that he talks about here. Um, The reality is, even in our day, spiritual gifts are still a controversial issue. Uh, Ten years ago, John MacArthur had his Trange Fire Conference, and that caused a lot of stir in the American church because a lot of people thought he was being too harsh um, in his take on that. Um, Even today, you can follow people like Costi Hinn, who is a nephew of Benny Hinn, uh, who is also addressing what he sees going on in the charismatic movement with especially people like Benny Hinn. And so there's a lot of controversy over things like what we see being talked about in this chapter, whether it's speaking in tongues or healing or whatever it might be. And so as we go through chapters 12 through 14, we'll try to touch on various aspects of that. But let me begin today by highlighting how Paul starts out. And the way he starts out in verses 1 through 11 is he emphasizes the fact that the spiritual gifts were actually things that were dividing the church. He starts out by saying, don't you realize that the spiritual gifts are intended to unify you? And if you notice in the first 11 verses, over and over again, Paul says uh, things like, if you look at verse, uh, at the end of verse 4, now these... There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Then the next verse, and the same Lord. Then the next verse, but the same God. And then he goes on down to verse 8, through the Spirit. And according to the same Spirit. And then the next verse, by the same Spirit. Uh, By the one Spirit. On down to verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, individually just as he wills. So the main point of that section is God is the source of all these things. Uh, God is the source of the gifts. He's the source of the ministries. He's the so- source of whatever effects or fruit or good works come out of these things. And spiritual gifts are important. He says you need to understand about spiritual gifts. They're, they're very, very important. And the first thing you need to understand is that they're gifts from God. And they're not, they're charismata, which is root, uh, based on the root word for grace. They're, they're gifts freely given, not because you deserve them, not because 
You're better than somebody else. They're just freely given according to the sovereign choice of God. The Holy Spirit determines who gets what gift. And it's not based on merit. It's not based on anything that you are or what you've done. And so he's trying to emphasize the fact that God is involved in all of it, regardless of what the giftings might be, and that every believer has been given a gift, at least one or more, and um, and it's for the common good or the good of the church. It's not for your own personal, private good. He says it's for the common good, that spiritual gifts are for the church, for other for believers to bless other believers. And then he mentions nine gifts. He talks about the word of wisdom, which if you read commentaries on these chapters, you'll find a plethora of ideas about what these gifts are, which is reason to pause and think, okay, that there's some question about exactly what all these gifts were. Now, some are more uh, clear than others, like the gift of teaching. That's pretty clear what that basically means, or the gift of mercy or things like that, which are talked about in Romans 12. But things like the word of wisdom, people would say practical insight that God gives for a particular situation, word of knowledge, a kind of revelation that's given to address a certain situation, faith, every believer has faith, and yet Somehow faith can be a spiritual gift that's related to uh, trusting God in extraordinary ways in different situations. Um, You've got gifts of healings. Technically, that's what it says in the Greek, healings, which refers to different kinds of healings that God can enable people to do or enable people to do. The effecting of miracles is literally works of power. Many people associate that with casting out demons and other works of power, not simply healing works, but beyond those kinds of things. Prophecy is one of the one gifts that you find in the Old Testament where it talks about God uh, putting into people's mouths his very words. So that prophecy is very much about um, speaking the word of God, speaking God, speaking for God. And yet in our day and time, there's a controversy over whether or not it still means that or not. Does it still mean what it meant in the Old Testament, or does it mean something different? Um, obviously, the distinguishing of spirits typically is understood in terms of discerning false teaching or false teachers. Um, tongues is also something that's uh, controversial. Is it simply foreign languages, or is it also ecstatic speech? That's uh, questioned, and then the understanding of those tongues. And so we could spend a lot of time, which we're not going to do this morning, in talking about those kinds of things. But let me just highlight the fact that we don't want to miss the main point. The main point of the first section is God gives the gifts and he does it sovereignly. And he gifts every believer. And the gifts are meant to bring us together and help us to see that we're a part of the family of God. And it's not meant to divide us. It, it's unity in the midst of diversity. Um, I was reading where someone talked about uh, Einstein's um, 
famous quotation, <clears throat> excuse me, famous quotation, E equals MC squared. And they were talking about, I'm not a scientist, so if I get this wrong, please forgive me. But it sounds like the idea is uh, science, scientists have come to the conclusion in observing what God has done to say that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. And they've come to the conclusion that basically energy and mass or matter are interchangeable, um, which means they are different forms of the same thing, which is an interesting thing. Uh, Basically, the idea that light and a walnut are essentially the same thing. And they talk about the fact that if you could take you know, a little paper clip and turn it into pure energy. It would have enough energy in it to basically do what the bomb did over Hiroshima. Be that much energy. And so to me, it's just fascinating how God has created the world and those kinds of uh, things just highlight that. But it also illustrates the fact that we can look at things and say, I don't think light has anything to do with walnuts. And yet there's a unity between the two of them that may not be obvious on the surface. But when we look at each other, we may say, well, this person's gift is different than this person and uh, this person's personality is different than this person. We can just focus on the differences and forget the unity between us. And that's what Paul starts out by doing. Is he says, you guys are looking at the differences between you and allowing the differences to divide you. When you need to go deeper, you need to go down to the root of the reality of the situation where the unity between all of you is the God who has saved you and the God who has gifted you. And that's the basis for pursuing unity over the spiritual gifts is recognizing that very fundamental reality. Well, secondly, he goes on from there in verses 12 through 27 to use an analogy that we're all familiar with because we all have one, and that's a body. And so he talks about spiritual gifts, not only in terms of unity in the midst of diversity, but in terms of uh, our bodies. And if you just read through verses 12 through 27, he mentions body or members of the body over and over and over again. He talks about the fact in verse uh, 12, he says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though there are many are one body, so also is Christ. And so he's saying basically the spiritual reality of the church, all the believers together is like a body. That we are, you can picture the spiritual reality, even though you can't picture it physically. We don't look like a body, don't look like one body. But spiritually, he says, that is the reality. And he emphasizes emphasizes that again and again. Verse 14, he says, for the body is not one member, but many. And then in verse 18, now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Verse 20, but now there are many members, but one body. Then he goes on in verse 24, God has so composed the body. And so he, he concludes um, with verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And so what Paul is doing here, he just keeps repeating the same thing 
over and over again, lest we miss the point. Uh, the main point in this section is that I need to think about myself not as simply an individual. I need to think of myself as a member of a living body. And if I think about myself as an individual, then maybe I'll just stay home and watch live stream instead of being a part of a church. Or maybe I just won't be a part of a church at all because it's just me and Jesus, right? And Paul is saying, no, it's not just you and Jesus. Unless you understand that to, for it to be you and Jesus means it means you and Jesus. Because Jesus is his body. He's the head and we're the body of Jesus. And so that means to be a part of the church. And so the emphasis here is that not only are we a body, but God has placed us in the body exactly where he wants us to be. And where we are in the body is connected to what our giftings are. And, um, and yet he highlights the fact that we might not like where God put us in the body. And the foot looks up and says, well, if I can't be a hand, I don't want to be a part of the body. And so the foot amputates itself and walks off. Or the ear says, well, if I can't be an eye, then I don't want to be a part of, part of the body. So the eye plucks itself out and goes off. Now, that's a ludicrous thing to do, right? Our, our feet aren't just going to amputate themselves and walk off. We'd be in bad shape if they could. If, if the parts of our body could just say, well, if I can't be another part of the body, then I don't want to be a part of the body at all. I just, I just want to go away. I just, I'll just be on my own. I'll just be an eye over here in the corner. And I'll be a foot over here in this corner. And so Paul is highlighting the fact that we have to be careful of thinking that if God has put us all in a body, and he's actually determined whether or not we're an ear or an eye. He's actually determined whether or not we're a foot or a hand. Whatever that might mean. Then... To reject that is to reject what? It's to reject God's design. And it's to reject the idea that, that I could actually be fully happy with God's design. That's the same thing that's going on in our society when somebody says, I know I have the body of a boy, but I don't think that's what I really am. I want to be a girl. Rejecting God's design, thinking I'll be happier if I'm different than what God has designed me to be. And so the same thing is happening here, and it happens all the time. We can very easily think that somehow God made a mistake in terms of how he designed me, either physically or in terms of spiritually, what my gifting might be. And so Paul encourages us, to not believe the lie. In our small group, we're still talking about sin. And at the root of sin is believing lies. That, that's the very fundamental issue. That's why Satan is the father of lies. He lied to Adam and Eve. They sinned. They believed the lie and they sinned. And so the Bible tells us that it's the truth that sets us free. It's faith in the truth that sets us free, which means what binds us is Believing lies. And so Paul is basically 
saying, let me tell you the truth about the situation. You're believing lies. That's why you're divided against each other. That's why you want someone else's gift. That's why you don't think you're a part of the body because you don't have someone else's gift. That, that's why you're at odds with each other is because there are lies that you are believing. And so let me tell you the truth so you can fight those lies with the truth. And so what he basically says is that the diversity of spiritual gifts in the church is good and it's necessary, just like the different members of the human body. He says at one point, what if the whole body was an eye? Well, you couldn't couldn't go to Joshua Tree and climb through a cave if you were an eye, unless somebody picked you up and put them in your pocket, put them in your their pocket. You'd be very limited. That's the beauty of the body is that I can do things with my hands that I can't do with my eyes. I can do things with my eyes that I can't do with my hands. I can do things with my feet that I can't do with my ears. I can do things with my ears that I can't do with my feet. And so the beauty of the body is God has made it different so that it can do all kinds of wonderful things. And therefore, if we think that it'd be better off if everybody was just like that person or had that gifting, we would not be better off. We would be under the illusion that we really don't need a body. We just need a hand or we just need an ear or we just need an eye. And Paul says, you're just not really fully appreciating what God has done. I mean, we, we can fail to do that physically with our bodies and not really appreciate the wonder of our body physically. So it's an amazing thing that God has made in the physical body. Well, Paul is saying it's just as wonderful, if not more amazing, what God has done in the body of Christ and how he has gifted the body of Christ to work together. Uh, when I was uh, in college, there was a movie that came out, I think, about that time uh, called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. You don't really need to. But I remember seeing it back then. And I think one of the scenes, scenes that stood out to me was a scene where King Arthur is fighting a knight. And he fights this knight to the point where he's basically uh, cut off all his limbs. And he's just... There, he doesn't have any arms anymore, doesn't have any legs anymore. He's just shouting at King Arthur, screaming at him. And what you see taking place is this black knight goes from being to do, being able to do certain things to being able to do nothing but lay there. Why? Because his members have been removed. It's a picture of how much more limited you are if you lose members of your body. Paul is trying to emphasize the fact that there is a cost involved in losing any member of the body. Every member is important. Every member has a role to play. And there will be a loss if that member is lost. And so he's trying to encourage those in Corinth and encourage us to to recognize that that's just as much true of us as it was for them in that day and time. Well, look at the last uh, section there, verses 28 through 31. So Paul says, 
Basically, there's an amazing unity in the body, even though there's a diversity of gifts. And he highlights the fact that um, the fact that there are diversity of gifts is a great and wonderful and necessary and good thing. And yet he also highlights the fact that there are some gifts that are more important. But not because other gifts aren't important. They're more important simply because they help the other gifts. That's the importance. Because he says um, in verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he goes from there. And what's in common with the apostles, prophets, and teachers? They are all truth-oriented or word-oriented ministries. It's all about the word of God. It's all about speaking for God. It's all about making sure that the body operates according to the truth of God. And so the reason why these parts of the body are ranked higher is not because the others are not essential. It's because these word-oriented functions are essential to the other gifts functioning in the way that they need to. And so it's sort of like what C.S. Lewis said when he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So he says the sun's important. Why? Because it helps me to see everything else. And he was applying it to Christianity in general. I'm applying it to the, the gifts of the Spirit that are word-oriented. They help us to see and understand how the body is supposed to function and see and understand that every gift is important. So they're important because they emphasize the importance of every gift and they help us to understand a little bit better how they are to function. Well, let me ask some questions um, this morning about all of this. One question that I want to ask is, why is there so much disagreement over spiritual gifts in the church? And as I've thought about it, part of it is, I think, we're prone to be more dogmatic than we need to be. And maybe more dogmatic than we should be. Um, We tend to think that maybe um, we have all the answers that actually haven't been given to us. In the scripture. And so sometimes we can go too far. In our opinions. In other cases I think we. We don't read the Bible closely enough. And therefore we're not. uh, Thinking through all that the Bible has to say. About spiritual gifts. And taking everything into consideration. Um, There's no doubt that. There are those who highlight the fact that. Not only do we have to look at scripture. But we have to look at Christian history. And when. When we say that certain gifts are meant for the church of all ages, we have to ask ourselves, then why do we see such a disparity between uh, some gifts being manifested and other gifts not being manifested? And why do we see certain, certain godly people in history not exhibiting those same gifts, if indeed they were uh, meant to be exhibited or expressed all the time. Um, 
we could talk about that a lot, but let me just kind of focus on this one aspect of it. Um, one of the things that has fascinated me about spiritual gifts is actually what we don't know or what isn't said. Like I read, we read through this chapter and I tried to highlight for you the kinds of things Paul talks about, but we need to think about what he doesn't do. For instance, if you look at the, the list of gifts here in this chapter and you compare it uh, to the list at the end of the chapter, Paul adds four gifts on at the end of the chapter that he didn't include at the beginning of the chapter. And if you look at Romans 12, he includes gifts in that chapter that he doesn't include in this chapter. And in 1 Peter, Peter just kind of sums it up in, in terms of speaking gifts and serving gifts. He doesn't mention any many of the gifts that Paul mentions. And so nowhere in the Bible do we have two lists of gifts that are, are, are identical, which probably means we don't have a complete list of gifts. Even if you added all those gifts up, there's no reason to say those are the only gifts that the Spirit is giving. giving. Those are just examples of gifts that the Spirit is giving um there are no clear definitions you notice paul doesn't tell us what the word of wisdom is he doesn't tell us exactly what tongues means now that doesn't mean we can't look at other scriptures and get an idea of it but i'm simply saying he doesn't take the time to give us a clear definition of those things and the closest thing to it is maybe in prophecy in 14.3 <clears throat> when Paul talks about it being about edification and, and those kinds of things. So we can piece things together. But it's interesting to me that Peter and Paul and John didn't take the time to say, let me just tell you exactly what these gifts are so there's no, there's no debate. So that when you pick up a commentary or you read three commentaries, you don't get three different ideas of what that gift is. Let me just tell you, the apostles didn't do that. Um, there's no indication exactly how many gifts every believer has. You know, some people have taught every believer has one gift and they just have one gift. And you just need to figure out what it is. The Bible never comes right out and says you only have one gift. It simply says, if you have a gift, use it. Um, Maybe even more important is there is no test for spiritual gifts in the Bible. When I was growing up, there was a big emphasis on taking tests to try to figure out what your spiritual gift is. There are no tests in the Bible. Paul doesn't ever say, you know, if, if you tend to be harsh and rude, you're probably a prophet or something like that. He, he never says any of those things. He never gives us a list to say, okay, um, I'm six out of eight of these, so I, that must be my primary gifting, and my secondary gifting is four out of eight, or anything. He doesn't do that. And I think that's significant, because um, all these things, it's just a way of saying that maybe our whole approach to spiritual gifts isn't really the biblical approach in trying to figure out what it is, or in terms of how we're trying to um, uh, implement them. Um, there's actually no clear statement that any particular gift would never be given to believers again. Now, there are those who would highlight certain scriptures to say this 
certainly implies that. And I, I would be one who would say that with regard to things like the gift of apostleship. But on the whole, you can't really say this clearly says these gifts will never be exhibited again beyond the first century. But on the other hand, there's no clear statement that the giftings um, would all always be in effect throughout the church, the history of the church. You don't have that clear statement either. So I'm highlighting the fact why we have such disagreement over these things to bring us to my application. So what do you what do you do if all those things are true? That there is a lack of clarity in certain ways, on certain things, what do we do? The Bible tells us to be a doer of the word. Look at what the Bible does tell you to do that you understand and do that. That's what it says in James. Don't be simply a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Read what the Bible says about loving each other in the body of Christ, in the church, and do that. Be a doer of the word. Um, love other believers. Basically, the idea is, if I'm, if I'm seeking to put into practice what I clearly understand the Bible tells me to do, and I'm seeking to love my Christian brothers and sisters, that my gifts will be exhibited. Some of us will understand what those giftings are. That's why I think Peter says, if you, understand, if, you, if you have a gift, make sure you use it. And there are those who would say, I, I think I know what my gift or gifts are. And if we understand what it is, whether it's teaching or encouragement or mercy or whatever it might be, helps, administration, whatever it might be, then we should make sure that we're doing that to love other believers. But there are a lot of believers who will say, I'm not really sure what my gift is. I'm not even sure I have a gift. Well, Paul says you do. So you have one. Maybe more than one. But do you have to know what it is in order to exercise it? Well, I would think if you had to be able to nail it down with nine out of ten questions, Paul would have given us those questions. If that was necessary for us to know what our gifts are, God would have given it to us because the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient for life and godliness, for all that we need to do. So what I believe is, if you don't know for sure what your gifting is, just keep serving. Serve formally, serve informally, and seek to meet needs. And I think eventually you'll probably begin to realize that you have a heart for certain things that you don't have a heart for. Begin to realize that you tend to be better at certain things than you are at other things. And you begin to realize as you are seeking to love the body, meet needs, you begin to think, well, maybe that is how God has gifted me. And that's how I can be a blessing to others in the body of Christ. And so... The Bible doesn't give us tests. It just tells us to love the body, tells us to meet needs, tells us to do what we can do. And in the course of that, we begin to find out. Um, I didn't I didn't believe that I was supposed to go into a preaching, teaching kind of ministry 
until after I had the opportunity to get up and speak in front of um, a church in our hometown. Um, it was through giving my testimony in a very public way that God began to open my eyes to what he was calling me to do. And so many times it's just doing things to honor the Lord and to love others in the body of Christ that you find out, oh, maybe this is how God has gifted me and what he wants me to give my life to. And so the bottom line of what I believe Paul is talking about in in 1 Corinthians 12 is live like you need your church and like your church needs you. Just think about that. To live like you need your church is the idea that God never intended for us to be lone rangers. Never intended for us just to be me and Jesus driving down the road, don't need to be a part of a church. Paul is very clear that we've been put into a body to be a part of the body of Christ. And we'd actually live like we need the church. That, That I get up and I come to church to be with other believers, not because I have to, Because I need to. I need the body of Christ. I need that fellowship. I need the ministry that happens when we're together. And it also takes place during the week too. When you go out to the desert together in a small group. And you're fellowshipping that way. Happens on Sundays. Happens during the week in various uh, other venues. May happen one-on-one at coffee. But all those things are ways in which we acknowledge our need for others in the church. But there's also the reality that you need to embrace the fact that your church needs you. And that means that all of us are important. All of us have a role to play. Obviously, we need to be praying for each other. Obviously, we need to come and seek to encourage each other in informal ways. But we also need to ask the question, is there more that I can do to help the body grow in love? Are there needs that I could meet? Are there things that I could do? Um, Are there ways that I can um, eliminate burdens where you got certain people doing certain things, but it's really more than what they can they can handle on their own. And it would be good if we spread out that that need a little bit so that more people were doing it so that wouldn't be as much of a burden on a few people. It's just a matter of looking around and saying, okay, I'm a part of this body and God has gifted me and I may or may not know what my giftings are, but how can I act like my church needs me? Because Paul says we do. Paul says we do. God says we do. You do. We need each other. And... Paul is trying to emphasize that fact because um, the Corinthians were at, were at each other's throats. They were terribly divided. They weren't loving each other. And part of the reason was they didn't appreciate the reality of life and the body of Christ. And so let's bow together in prayer and we'll just close in prayer. Um, I'm just encourage you to think about... Um, your own attitude, and all of us, myself included, just need to periodically reflect on our attitude toward the church. The reality is, um, life in any family can be challenging. And um, sometimes we are very clear on the importance of 
our family, whether it's our immediate family or our church family. And sometimes we can lose sight of the importance of it for our own lives, our own spiritual health. But we also might lose sight of how important it is for us to be involved in various ways in terms of ministry and fellowship and meeting needs and just not really appreciating the fact that not only do I need others in the church, but they need me too. And so I just want to encourage you in the quietness of this moment just to pray in light of what you've heard from the word this morning and then I'll wrap it up in prayer. Father, indeed, uh, the bodies you've given us physically are just amazing. And yet the body of Christ is truly amazing as well. And yet we can lose sight of just what an amazing thing the body of Christ is and how much we need the body of Christ and how much as a member of the body, the other members need us. And so I just pray somehow that you would remind us all of that and, and encourage us all in light of that that we would appreciate others in this body that do all kinds of things with regard to ministry and fellowship and serve in various ways. Help us to grow in our love and appreciation for each other. Help us also to look around and see if there are needs that we can meet and maybe burdens that we could share uh, in this body that would be a blessing to others and help to build up the body in love. Father, every church... Um, that you've put together, brought people into, uh, have various needs, uh, various um, opportunities to minister and love and serve. And so we just pray that you bless us as we seek to apply this to our own lives, that we might grow in our joy and our happiness in you, and that we might also um, grow in just being more what you want us to be as a church. So we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us, that we might um, find much more, more joy in our lives as we seek to live in light of what it says. Help us to do that more and more. Thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for every member of this church and the great blessing that they are to me and to our family. And uh, just thank you so much for this body of believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.